Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. During John Kelly's first official week on the job as the new White House Chief of Staff, The president unveiled a new approach to immigration. I'm discussing this policy and the future legislative agenda with Perry Bacon of 538. It's Beth from the right while Sarah from the left is on vacation. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. everyone and welcome to The Briefcase. Today I am joined by Perry Bacon, a senior political writer at 538. Perry is also a native Kentuckian, so we're really excited to have him in Sarah's seat today. So I'm here with Perry Bacon at 538. Perry, thank you so much for joining me today. Of course, thanks for having me. I wanted to talk with you about John Kelly as the new chief of staff. I've read some of your work on the different factions in the Trump administration and your observation that Ryan's previous departure is significant when you start to think about those factions. Can you talk a little bit about your perspective on this? So we did a piece at 538 in, I guess, March, laying out the idea that in most White House's the president is kind of a part, a person that's sort of part of the party establishment, and he brings in people who, who would who are part of that too. In other words, when uh, Obama won the presidency, he basically appointed a lot of people who had worked for Bill Clinton, and who probably would have worked for Hillary Clinton if she had won. 
a lot of the people in George W. Bush's administration were people who had worked for George W. Bush, George Bush, the you know George H. W. Bush, his father. So you had a lot of uh, similarities there. You had a lot of sort of in, you, the party is sort of unified a certain way. So the advisors didn't necessarily matter that much because they were going to be the same people no matter what. Versus with Trump, he has very little history with the Republican Party and very little history in politics. So on some level, his advisors are much more important because Trump is kind of an open book on a lot of issues. So the advisors have a lot of ability to shape what he's going to do. And you've seen that throughout the year. So the initial idea to bring Priebus in as a chief of staff was, was a thought that Trump wanted to work through Capitol Hill and give them a lot of chances to work with him. And so the initial first six months of the year was essentially we're going to try to work with Paul Ryan. Ryan's previous is friends with Paul Ryan. We're going to try to do what the Hill wants. And so they pushed his health care bill first because the Hill really wanted to do that. And you've seen this been a debacle. So what you saw in these last few weeks is Trump has decided essentially the Hill method with Ryan's previous didn't really work. I'm not going to do that anymore. The you know hiring the person Ryan Spiebus was the party chair before, so hiring the person from the party to work with the party has not really succeeded for me. So I'm going to try John Kelly, who at least is known as a manager. He's a general. He'll carry a lot of respect from other people. So you're seeing a different kind of strategy now. The first strategy was try to run the government through the hill. Now it's going to be sort of run the government through having a more organized staff. Do you think that Reince failed as to the Hill in general or just as to the Senate? Because it looks like the House, I mean, Paul Ryan has gone along with this administration much more than I would have liked, candidly. And I'm just wondering if the breakdown was really on the Senate side and if that is indicative of anything about Ryan's Priebus. Um, I think, well, Ryan's Priebus and Paul Ryan are both from Wisconsin. And they're both pretty good friends before this. So I think that tells you a little bit of something like Paul Ryan has been very vocally supportive of Trump in a way I wouldn't have expected a year ago. And I think that probably does go to the research between Paul Ryan and Priebus. I do think the House and the Senate are different. And and I think I'm writing a piece about this this week. A lot of the criticism you're seeing of Trump and the sort of differences between Trump and the Republicans the Senate is driving some of the tension with Trump versus the House goes along with him more. I think that might go to the House is probably overall more conservative, one. And then two, the members in the House have two-year terms, not six-year terms. So it makes a difference in how they can act. Like if you look at the health care vote last week, two of the votes against it, John McCain and Lisa Murkowski, those are people who just won in 2016, so they have six-year terms, so they have a long time to go before they have to go before the voters again. So I think that's what's going on here is that the Senate has a lot of sort of more established members who feel like they can do whatever they want to. And to some extent, the White House probably should have taken that into account more that the Senate – I think McCain actually said that in his speech last week – Mr. President, we are your equals. We we're in a co-equal branch of government. We're not your supplicants or whatever the term he used was, but he kind of implied they want to work with the president, sort of not for him. And I think Trump and Priebus seem to misunderstand that a bit at times. I was thinking this morning about how the House has become the House of not-so-representative because of the districting and because of the two-year terms and how they're all just weighing this calculus of – how popular will the president be in my district when I'm on the ballot again, as opposed to Elisa Murkowski, who's not winning because of Republican base support in Alaska. Right. 
So, so talk about John Kelly a little bit. You, you talked about how this is a managerial approach to the White House staff. There's been a lot of discussion about what this means for Jared and Ivanka. Do you think that he can bring some order here? We're not seeing it reflected in the Twitter timeline of the president so far. <laughs> yeah, uh, apparently I read some reports somewhere that Kelly has decided he's not going to try to stop Trump from tweeting. He's trying to be more realistic about his uh, goals, and he's not going to try to try to stop Trump from tweeting. What I do think will happen is that you saw on day one, you know, the, uh, the famous Anthony Scaramucci uh, was fired immediately by Kelly. So, and that was by Kelly, not by Trump. So, I think that was a sign that kind of the the most outlandish behavior from the staff, at least, will probably be reduced some, particularly people who don't necessarily have a power base of their own. I think it's an open question of, like, what do you do when the president's son-in-law and daughter are senior advisors? In the early, you know, in these last few days, both Kushner and Ivanka have suggested they're going to report, they're going to try to work with Kelly. But I don't know that they necessarily report to him in the, in the way that it would be in a normal White House because they have kind of independent power to some extent. The comparison is not perfect, but in some ways, in the last administration, Obama had this long-term friend who had helped him get started in politics named Valerie Jarrett. And she worked with the chief of staff, but not really for the chief of staff. And I think of a similar dynamic here. Valerie Jarrett had much more experience in politics, and I should say that. But you have a dynamic here that's similar where Jared and Ivanka are, prob- are probably going to have their own issues they want to work on. You also have Mike Pence, who has a lot of influence in the White House. So I still think my sense is Kelly is probably not going to necessarily dictate policy as such, but he will kind of dictate, you know, try to try to make sure everyone's like, there's a there's one meeting where we all talk about this issue and we come to an agreement. And after we do that, let's not leak and argue. What was happening before was essentially since Priebus did not have necessarily the, the power to say this is our decision, you'd have a lot of leaks in the media and fighting the media where they're trying to sort of relitigate the decision the whole time. Because the, vers- the, ber- the basic idea was that whoever talked to Trump last could win the argument. And now my understanding is that Kelly will be talking to Trump last most of the time. To what extent, if any, do you think Kelly is responsible for on board with this new immigration policy that's been introduced? Um, my, my, my understanding is that's been in the process much longer than when he, before he came, that was something, I mean, Trump talked about the idea of, kind of of immigration, both illegal and legal, driving down wages a lot during the campaign. So this is something that Trump has talked about a lot. This is something Steve Bannon and Stephen Miller, who are two of his other senior advisors, they, they support this idea, a lot of limiting even legal immigration. So that was coming down the pike before Kelly, and I assume he didn't try to stop it. This looks like it was worked up by what I would describe as the the Breitbart coalition within yes. the administration. I read that Julia Hahn was part of crafting it. Tom Cotton and David Perdue are on board. So if you haven't been paying attention, we're talking now about the Reforming American Immigration for a Strong Economy proposal. And this is intended to decrease legal immigration. We're not talking about illegal immigration at this point. 
by ending our lottery, ending some preferences for family members, and then implementing this scoring system for immigrants based on their level of education, their language, um, you know, their, their English fluency, age, salary potential, and a whole host of other factors. Perry, am I missing anything that you think is important in describing what's right. been proposed? Yeah, that's those are the important details, yes. What do you think is the probability that this goes anywhere? Probably pretty low. So we should break down. There's three different things that are going on here. There's one, the idea that we reduce the number of legal immigrants in the country coming each year from one million to 500,000, essentially. So these are cutting the sort of pure number. And that's an idea that is fairly controversial. Um, and it's and there's a second idea here is to basically change the way immigration works to where it's less tied to your family members being here and more tied to what kind of skills you have and how you can help businesses particularly. That idea Jeb Bush and Marco Rubio talked about a lot in the, during the last campaign. That's probably a less controversial idea than the first one. And the third idea here, and Trump talked about it yesterday, is the idea of assimilation and you have to speak English and so on. And that's in some of the words he used are getting closer to kind of the more nativist content that I think people find controversial. Yeah, I don't like any of this, to be honest with you. I have never (laughs) I have never seen credible data showing that low skilled immigration harms our economy. I've only seen the opposite. Right. Most of there's some debate about this at the, at the very edge of the lowest skilled workers and whether that drives it down. But in general, the data suggests that immigration increases the helps the economy, doesn't hurt the economy, provides more workers, immigrant, new immigrants tend to create more jobs, create more businesses. So the ge- economic data is generally on the side of the pro-immigration proposal. You asked how if it would pass or not. So Right now, the numbers are not there at all. In fact, in the in the Senate, you have a lot of Republicans who want to go in the opposite direction. They want to pass what's called the Dream Act, essentially that you know makes young people whose parents brought them here um, when they were illegal immigrants who sort of codifies them into the law. So I think you have Republicans who want to go in the opposite direction and be more left on immigration. You, the thing about Trump's immigration views is they're not really shared broadly in the Republican Party in addition to being opposed by most Democrats. I know Lindsey Graham has come out talking about how this would be bad for South Carolina. I think this would have a pretty devastating impact on agriculture. And I feel like it sends such a weird message. It's almost saying that Americans are not well suited to compete in the highly skilled sector. And and we want to preserve the low skilled jobs for Americans. I just think it's a really strange view of our country. Well, I mean, I, I went to a talk, uh, Stephen Miller, who's the president's um, top policy advisor, and he talked about this idea yesterday. He's been behind this immigration plan. And, I mean, he gets into the idea, and this is not something that like, I endorse, but the idea they're in they're talking about is a lot is kind of – he talks about sort of preserving the – 
culture. And he, he they made the point yesterday, one of them made the point yesterday that one million immigrants a year, that's the population of that's bigger than some states. They were making the point that basically you're, you know, taking away from some of the kind of Americanness of America if you have one million immigrants. We have a country of basically 320 million people. Their idea is one million immigrants a year is too much. And you can debate that question, but their idea is basically that pure number is too high. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special. And they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day, Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, and that's I think it's good that reporters are asking questions that pull out what seems to be really going on here, because I don't think the economic data 
supports this as being something that's going to strengthen our economy. And this is something that I've talked about on the show a lot. Like, I just don't view America as having a culture that exists to be preserved. I don't think America belongs to me more than it belongs to someone sitting in Syria today who's waiting to get here. In fact, I think once that person comes to America, um, he or she will have um, her own American experience that's as valid and perhaps more valuable than mine because there are tons of aspects of being an American that I'm sure I take for granted. So it, I just can't get here. And I, I think it's good that, that people are pushing the White House to say what's really going on. I'm curious about the discussions that you're hearing among journalists about the exchange between Stephen Miller and Jim Acosta yesterday. You know, I haven't been a lot of discussions yet about that. I don't know if you know Jim's background. Jim is the uh, the son of Cuban immigrants. So the idea, the discussion was very heated. So that's one thing. But Jim has actually been in a fair amount of heated discussions with the White House about his view is they're trying to diminish press access and things like that. They were taking briefings off television for a while. So he's had some pre-existing kind of tensions with the White House, and they've fired back at him, too, about these issues. The specifics of yesterday, I thought, were odd, only because they got really personal. And I have I don't remember seeing a White House advisor, you know, what did he say about him? Said he was an uh, East Coast snob. Or, elitist, yeah. Yeah, something like that was unusual, particularly since Mr. Miller, the White House advisor, Grew up in sort of a wealthy area in Santa Monica in California, went to Duke. He's no, you know, working class <laughs> champion. So it was a very odd way of, you know, I think he was wearing cufflinks, one of the journals, so like me attacking, you know, Acosta for this. So I thought it was a weird attack, but I think it goes to the issue that they're having a little bit of trouble defending their immigration position. I mean, we're talking about sort of race and identity is what we're really talking about here. And if you listen to Miller very closely yesterday, one thing he kept saying was, um, this is a policy that will help lower wage people, particularly minorities, particularly immigrants. And what what the white, uh, Trump said this too yesterday, what they're trying to say is that Hispanic immigrants lower wages for black people who grew up here in the first place. That's what they're trying. They're trying to draw a wedge. And you saw this yesterday, too, on their new affirmative action policy, too. And you and we I don't know what your views on that, but they announced they're going to take on affirmative action. One thing they tried to highlight was we're trying to help Asian students not be discriminated against. And I that might there is some evidence that affirmative action does hurt Asian students in some ways the way we do it now. I think that's true. But this sort of like they're not they're trying to say we're in these policies on immigration for blacks and for and for Asians on affirmative action. I think they're, you know, 90 percent of the people who voted for Trump are white. So I think that's probably who the target of the policies are. And we should not misunderstand that. Yeah, I mean, what I think is going on here is that the approval numbers are getting really ugly and the Senate investigation is heating up and Bob Mueller is hiring people to investigate the White House. And so let's get back to the culture wars. I mean, that's what it looks like to me. This scoring system, (laughs) thank you for immigration. You know, I, I went to National Review to read about this policy because I thought I had such a strong negative reaction but I thought I want to go somewhere that's going to be defensive of this policy and read about it. And National Review loves this scoring system. Yeah. And as I'm reading it, I'm thinking to myself, name for me an American citizen who would be comfortable 
being given a numerical score based on their level of education, their salary, you know, the like all of the things here that just reduce us further to economic units instead of human beings. Even reading about it written in the most flattering terms, I just find it disgusting. And I I sincerely hope that the Senate will not allow this to go anywhere. But I will move on instead of just ranting about this policy forever. And I'm sure we'll do more of that when Sarah's back, because I imagine that she was going to be right here with me. Um, I wanted to ask you about health care. I saw some tweets from you, Perry. Um that seem to be thinking through the question of whether Republicans are really done with health care or not. And I would love your your take on that. So essentially, my view of this is that the Republican Party spent seven years campaigning against Obamacare, telling the telling Republican voters we're going to repeal this and talking about how bad it was. And we can debate whether there are parts of Obamacare that are bad and probably some that are good and some that are working and some that aren't. You can debate that another time probably. But I think what we're left with, I think, is they made this promise and they made it a lot. And Trump wasn't in Washington for a lot of time, so he just probably doesn't understand the issue as much and, and sort of the complexities of it. Remember, he, remember, remember one day he said, in fact, who knew healthcare was so complicated? And I could have told him everyone, but he, you know, but apparently not him. So I think you'll have a situation where they've got this big goal that they've articulated over and over and over again. So my view is that until the Democrats have control of the House or the Senate or the presidency, the Republicans are going to keep considering getting rid of this law because they've told their base how terrible it was and they promised to fix it, or promised to get rid of it or repeal it in some way. So I think you're going to keep seeing this sort of zombie efforts to come back. It'll be Cassidy and Graham and then it'll be Cornyn and whoever. And I just think we're going to keep having attempts for this repeal to happen. I don't know where they're going to go now. There's a, a couple other bills that are moving. Trump keeps still wants to do it. So I just don't think this is over. I agree with you. I don't think that they will get anything accomplished. Um, and I—that's think... a different question. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I guess it it does depend so much on what happens in 2018. But they're all saying many of them are saying now that they want to move on to tax reform. Do you have a clear understanding of what they mean when they talk about tax reform? So what they mean by tax reform generally, and like they said, they've been very general about this, is that they want to reduce taxes on individuals, but also reduce the corporate tax rate and the tax rate on small businesses. So they, so their idea, they think that you know the economy will grow and more jobs will create if we have lower corporate tax rates, and that's a big part of like individual tax cuts are something Republicans are always for anyway, but they think the corporate tax changes will particularly help businesses create more jobs. The debate we're having now, and so the, the reason they're calling it, so I don't so to me they should just call it tax cuts and it'd be clearer. But the, so the debate they're having is about 
is about some Republicans don't want to have a tax cut that drastically reduces increases the deficit, which is what a big tax cut for corporations, individuals, and so on would do. So the idea of reform is we would get rid of certain tax deductions and things like that, and therefore that would cuts that would reduce some spending on tax cuts. So you could therefore have the so the idea behind quote unquote reform is you'd have a simpler system with fewer deductions and write-offs, but you'd also have lower taxes. So that's how that's what tax reform sounds like. The problem with that is tax deductions are not just random ideas. Usually they've you know been created in the system for a reason. People like the tax deduction for their mortgages, for example. And so if you're going to get rid of that, you're going to have a lot of political tension. So right now the Republicans are saying tax reform will be much easier than health care. It may be easier than health care, but if you start getting into tax tax write-offs and deductions people like, that's going to get just as complicated as taking away Medicaid. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable. Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water 
leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Yeah, I think it's hilarious that they think it's simpler than healthcare because the Affordable Care Act is not a decade old, right? And the tax code has been a, a mechanism for setting social policy. And I mean, so much is embedded in years of work on the tax code. I don't know how they think they're going to undo it. I look at the tax code sort of the way I do the Affordable Care Act. I've compared the Affordable Care Act before to the woods. Like there's so much in it. You can't really be for or against the woods. There are parts that are, you know, acceptable and parts that don't make any sense. I think the tax code is the same way. And the conversation that you just articulated so well about whether it's it's deficit neutral or not, um, seems to me to be predicated by Republicans on really short term thinking. If you honestly believe, and I do believe this, that you can use the tax code as a lever to increase investment in business in the United States in a way that ultimately generates more tax revenue, that's a long term play. Like that isn't going to be deficit neutral in year one. And I guess I'm wondering if Republicans have the fortitude to make a long-term play in any arena? Well, part of it is that the rules of the Senate and the rules of passage, you know, we've had this whole debate about reconciliation and Mm -hmm. in healthcare, this sort of process. So if you want to pass a bill with 50, with just a majority and not 60 votes in the Senate, it has to be either deficit neutral or it has to be temporary. So meaning that they could pass a a tax cut policy that would be 10 years long, but it would expire after the 10 years. So that would be temporary and that would require 50 votes or they could have a vote or they could have a package of tax policy that was permanent, but would have to be basically deficit neutral to pass. And then it would be permanent for this reconciliation process. So that's part of it is that you is the rules. If you don't work with Democrats, which it sounds like is not likely to happen here, then you have to, and it kind of constrains the policy a bit. Um, I do think part of it is the Republic. If you listen to Paul Ryan's been saying the same things about tax policy for, you know, the whole time I've known him for like 10 years. So I think that he has a long-term view of it. I just don't know that the um, that they've moved the country along yet on the basic idea that what you said, which is that lower taxes can, in, in some ways, create more opportunities for investment and so on. That's that is a long term policy, and and even then, you'd have to have some. You probably can't have the number of deductions and so on we have right. now. So you you have to be. I think they'd have to have a much a more. I think the problem is not that. Um, is not necessarily that they don't have a long-term plan. It's they've not done a great job articulating exactly what that plan. And I think Obama had some of these same problems with the, with the, the Obamacare was. I don't think they were sort of very 
the idea that to go back to Obama, I know Obamacare pretty well. The idea that you were going to change the healthcare system, but no one would have their doctor change, was a sort of probably a dumb thing to say. And similarly, um, I think this tax reform issue is you have to probably be honest with people that if we're going to have a big tax reform, someone's taxes will probably have to go up. Yes, someone's taxes will probably have to go up, and it there will be give and take for everyone, right? Yes. There will be things that businesses like and that they do not like. And the process by which that all happens will involve tons of give and take in ways that if they aren't transparent, will look like a lot more of the same nonsense in Washington, which is, I think, what will happen here. That's where we're... Yes, because I, I think even the even the using the phrase tax reform has a sort of a code to it. No one knows what that means. Right. Well, and what the White House has put out, I mean, I kind of was a little snarky about this on Twitter. I mean, it looks like Steve Mnuchin wrote some bullet points on a napkin and handed them to someone and said, type these up. I mean, there doesn't seem to be anything thoughtful happening. And, and I just think that it's in it's crazy to watch them talk about this as though this is going to be so much more achievable than working on health care. It's, it's kind of amazing. You're right, because they've had six months of behind, like the health care talks have been public, but behind the scenes, they've been talking about tax reform the whole time they've been in office. And so the idea that after six months they had of intense discussions, they, could, they had to basically put out a napkin of pablum about tax reform tells you that even that this is a hard issue and there's a lot of disagreement about the real policy. Well, let's end on something a little lighter. We did an episode on Tuesday with Emily Ellsworth that ended with a discussion of introversion and got more um, emails and tweets oh, and Facebook messages about that than most things that we talk about in the political arena. So I had to ask you, Perry, if you know if you are an introvert or an extrovert. I'm pretty extroverted, but I would say that my wife is introverted to the point where she had me read that book. It's, oh, the uh, what, Susan Cain book? Yes. She had, She was like, you don't get what I'm saying. Can you read this book? That is awesome. Did you read it? I did. And it was very – because my wife's very confident and very, and very and a good public speaker and so on. So I don't think I – so I was like, you don't seem shy to me. you know. Right. And she was saying, introversion is not shyness. Read this book. That's awesome. Well, we've been having this discussion uh, with listeners online since Tuesday about whether introverts can make it in Washington, D.C. What do you, what's your take on that? Uh, my wife is doing very well. So she's an attorney at the Department of Justice and she's doing very well. Um, you know, I, I don't think that I – it's sort of – sometimes it's hard to know who's an introvert unless you know them really well. Mm-hmm. But um, I think – yeah, I don't think this is a – I mean, you could probably argue in some ways that the last president, who was very charismatic in public, had some kind of introversionist tendencies, you know, in terms of wanting to be alone, wanting to read, needing that time. That's my understanding of him, at least. And so I think introvert, I mean, Washington is a town that's like there's it's definitely full of like class presidents and strivers and people like me who like to talk a lot. I think that's not that's not um a wrong description, but I also think Washington rewards expertise a lot in terms of like if you want to get a senior level job in policy or a senior level job. I mean, maybe if you want to be like a leading member in public, then that's going to be harder. Like if you want to be the president or a senator, it's going to be harder probably if you're pretty introverted. I don't know. We'd have to, I don't know if 
politicians advertise that they're introverted because that would be a weird thing to say. But I think if you want to, there's plenty of jobs in Washington where actually a lot of the real work happens that involve more sitting in front of your computer, you know, coming up with ideas and thinking about things than sort of talking and running your mouth a lot. I love that. I'm going to be thinking about whether President Obama is an introvert all day. Thank you so much for joining me, Perry. I really appreciate it. This is fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of The Briefcase. I want to close out with a comment that Mary left on our website, pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. We always appreciate your feedback on our episodes um, through email and social media and also on the show site. Mary left this comment in response to our episode about the president's tweets, and she wanted to remind everyone of the Optimist Creed by Christian D. Larson. To be so strong that nothing can disturb your peace of mind. To talk health, happiness, and prosperity to every person you meet. To make all your friends feel that there is something worthwhile in them to look at the sunny side of everything and make your optimism come true, to think only the best, to work only for the best, and to expect only the best, to be just as enthusiastic about the success of others as you are about your own, to forget the mistakes of the past and press on to the greater achievements of the future, to wear a cheerful expression at all times and give a smile to every living creature you meet to give so much time to improving yourself that you have no time to criticize others, to be too large for worry, too noble for anger, too strong for fear, and too happy to permit presence of trouble, to think well of yourself and to proclaim this fact to the world, not in loud word, but in great deeds, to live in the faith that the whole world is on your side, so long as you are true to the best that is in you. Thank you to Mary for sharing that. I thought it was a lovely way to close out the week. We will be back with you on Tuesday for a new episode. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Thank you so much to our executive producers, Nicholas, Tracy, Leslie, and Sabrina. Please leave us a review on the Apple Podcast Player or, again, go to patreon.com forward slash pantsuitpolitics to support the show. You can follow us on social media at Pantsuit Politics on Twitter, Pantsuit Politics on Facebook and Instagram.